So we finished Toys for Tots yesterday, and we celebrated that, and we'll be celebrating that over the next few weeks of just all the different stories that came out of that. One of my favorite stories was I was at a craft table, and, uh, and there was this young man there who was making uh, one of the crafts was a gingerbread man, and one of the crafts was a, a tree, and you'd put those little um, sequins, thank you very much, on, on there. And so I said, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? You're making a gingerbread man? And, and, and I got berated by him, and he said, it's a robot gingerbread man. And then he pointed to the tree and said, and this is a robot tree, you know, <laughs> which I thought, well, what Christmas doesn't have a robot tree, right? So, um, but as, as Cece alluded to when she made this an- announcement, again, that I was the first to hear of right now, that in, ten, in year 10, we're going to have this incredible thing. Um, I always get a little bit nervous, and if you know, have known me for a little bit, uh, I, I tend to uh, plan ahead, and I tend to grind, and I tend to um, get nervous that we're taking on too much, and uh, Cece, on the other hand, doesn't ever think we're taking on enough, and so uh, we have these things, but here's what I've noticed over the last 10 years that I've been pastor here. Um, you guys always come through, and as she said, God always comes through, and, and here's the correlation that seems to happen, is that the more we risk, the more joy we experience. And and so, for example, I could have put on a Toys for Tots myself. There would be five children invited. I would have gone and bought the gifts myself. I would have given them to them, and there there would be no question that we would have pulled it off. But what kind of joy is that, right? It's like the, the, it seems like the more we risk as a church, the more joy we experience. And isn't this true in life? I would imagine that your greatest joys come out of some of the times you risked the most. I'll give you an example in my own life. Uh, so um, I am like super duper happily married, right? And, and I've been married now for 20-something years. And um, it's, pa- it's past... It's past 20, so uh, I know that. I think it's 26, if I were to guess. 26, thank you, my lovely assistant, Lisa. Um, So uh, I've been married 26 bliss-filled years, right? Let me put it this way. My greatest times of joy, really, in my life have been with my wife. And so, but if I think back, I had to take the risk of asking her out on the first date. And, and let me just tell you, I am risk averse. I like to know. I like it planned out. I want to know for sure what's going to happen. I'm not a very good investor. I'm like a bond investor. Like just what is the amount that I'm guaranteed? Like that's my personality. And so when I went through this process of trying to ask well, who I thought was the most incredibly uh, gifted and beautiful woman I've ever met, well, woman, I, I was 16 or 17, um, like, I, I wanted to be sure that if I was going to take this risk, that she was going to say yes to the date or whatever. So I started talking to her friend, Tina Hobson, and I started dropping these hints. And, and so I would, I would say to Tina, you know, um, well, you know, I've broken up with so-and-so, and, you know, uh, you know Lisa is pretty hot. Um, I didn't say it that way. I, I, I went for some other attributes that I wasn't interested in at all. And... Um, 
And, and so, I, I, and so I, I didn't want to ask Lisa until Tina had asked Lisa and Lisa had talked to Tina and then Tina had talked to me. Uh, now I'm old enough. We call that triangulation, okay? It's a really, really bad communication thing. Don't, don't do it. But when you're 16 and you're risk adverse, uh, you, you, you triangulate to mitigate those risks. So I was triangulating and finally it came back the report that uh, it might be okay for me to ask her out on a date. And so I mustered every ounce of courage I had and I asked Lisa out on a date. Risky, risky, risky. Now what if I had not done that? I think about that. I think about sometimes who, who would I have ended up with, you know? And, and knowing my luck, it wasn't going to be good, okay? So I'd be on marriage three right now. And so th- this, was, this was my reality. But you've experienced this too. If you've ever had a baby or bought a house or, or whatever, you know, you experience these things of joy, but there's always this risk involved. I will never experience the joy of jumping out of an airplane, ever. (laughs) Because I'm not ready to go through the risk of jumping out of an airplane. I'll never experience the joy of getting a tattoo. Uh, Not because I'm against tattoos, but needles and permanency are things I run from. And so when they're at the same time, that's even worse. So I would get like a Pokemon tattoo and then Pokemon would be out of style and I'd have it for the rest of my life. That's my luck, okay? So I'll never experience that joy. Many of you have and it's fantastic. Go get them. I just, I, I just won't. Now, it's funny to think about not experiencing the joy of a tattoo or jumping out of a plane or maybe even, a, maybe even you miss out on a relationship. But here's the question I have for this, this morning that I want to discuss. What if because of fear... And because you're risk adverse, and because you like to mitigate, or because you like to control, or because you like things safe, you miss out on the joy of a deeper relationship with your Heavenly Father. What if because you want to hold on to something, or you know you might have to give up something, or or you don't know how it's all going to turn out if you fully give your life over to Jesus, what, what happens if you miss out? on that type of joy because you were afraid to risk. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to look at a group of people who kind of risked some stuff and to see what happened with them. And I also want to look at Mary who, who, who gets thrown into this story. Mary gets one verse in this story that just seems to come out of nowhere, and then we'll connect it with that, and we'll connect it with this picture that hopefully uh, everybody got. And if you're watching this online or you're listening to the podcast, uh, you don't get a picture unless you're here. So just so you know that for the future. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. We're talking about the birth of Jesus this morning. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is incredible. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So I don't know, sometimes when I go to the gym and I'm on one of the machines, there's Fox News on one screen and CNN on the other. 
uh, which I find equally as annoying, so it works out great for me. Um, and there's no sound, so I've been able to watch some of the debates, either the Republican debate or the, the Democratic debate, and I can watch them yelling at each other. And, and the scary thing is when you're on a machine is that you realize that one of these people are going to be our president. So anyway, imagine <laughs> if... So this person, whoever it may be on either side, uh, uh, becomes president, and they tell you... you if they had the power, you have to go back to your hometown next month. Like, like, think about that. Like, California is a pretty transient state, and so a lot of us, my hometown is Wachung, New Jersey, and so uh, I'd have to get on a plane, figure out a way to get there, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and they'll, for the only reason, the only purpose was to register so that they could figure out how many people were in the United States so they could tax you more. That's what this was all about. That, the, that, the, that Caesar wanted to know how many people are there. We need to, I have a little figure of how many taxes I should be getting. And then these are the number of people. Let, let's go after them. So that was it. Now imagine the only way you can get to your hometown is to ride on a donkey. <laughs> now imagine you're very late in your uh, third trimester. <laughs> and you're just bouncing along, right? Because that's what pregnant women love to do is bounce along on a donkey, Right? So this is, this is where Mary is in this whole thing. That's what I've heard. Anyway. Uh, all right. So Joseph also went up uh, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. This is very important as you look at the different prophecies from the Old Testament about Jesus. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn in a town where her family was not there, is Joseph. She's out of her comfort zone. She's in a place where there's no place to really have a baby. So she wraps him in cloths and places him in a manger. Because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but it has always bothered me, not from the standpoint of believing it, but just the standpoint of asking, why would God come down in the form of a baby? Yeah, I, I could understand even God coming down in the form of a man off of a mountain on a giant horse with a sword or something ripped abs or what, however, like, like something mighty, something leadership, you know, like a, like a leader, like a, you know, and this is how they expected. I, I understand why the Israelites expected the Messiah to come like this, because that's how I would want the Messiah to come. Would, would, be, would be on, a, if I were God, I would do it different. I'd, I'd like come on a comet or something, or something big, something, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. I, I'd, I'd come in maybe like a Star Wars trailer or something, you know, where everybody knows. And uh, like, that would be the thing. Why would God come in the form of a baby? Uh, have you ever thought about that? Like, why would it be a baby? Why not just show up on the scene later as a king or, or something like that? I held a baby yesterday. I held Violet. Uh, uh, which is Kip and Desiree Smith's baby. And, um, and, and like all babies, I have this gift. I don't know. I don't mean to brag. Um, but when I hold a baby, it cries. That's what, that's what it does. So if anyone ever needs their baby to cry, it's like got too much 
water retention or whatever, and we need to get, it, get the water out. Just give me the baby, and the baby will cry. So I get Violet, and um, I explain to her in no uncertain terms that she should now stop crying, uh, that, that I understood she was upset, and we'll try to get to the bottom of it, but she doesn't need to keep on crying anymore, but she didn't listen to me at all. And I'm holding her, and honestly, the thought in my mind is like, like Jesus would have cried and I would have said, hey, stop crying or whatever. The, like the pros do it. The pros actually can get the baby to stop crying. I can't do that. But like Jesus, like Jesus got gassy. <laughs> like, like Jesus got fussy. Jesus, like why would God, why would God come helpless, I guess, is what I'm saying. And as I began to ponder this and look at scripture and look at my own life with Jesus and look at your guys' lives and all of us who've been transformed by this wonderful Savior, I wrote this down because I think it's true that maybe God came as a baby to force us to go to Him. See, if He came as a man or on a comet or as a thing, we, we, we could get in this thing where we're doing our thing and we're just waiting for Him to come visit. But if He comes helpless... If he comes as a baby, if he's in one certain location, he kind of forces us to go to him. And, and maybe this is part of the risk of getting closer to Jesus, is that we have to go to him. And watch what happens. So Jesus is born. He's in a manger. He's probably crying or doing whatever. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And this is so great. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's not just an angel of the Lord. Uh, remember what we talked about last week, if you were here. We talked about the idea that when God showed up in the Old Testament, it was always terrifying. Like before Jesus, God just showed up in a terrifying way. And Job, he showed up as a tornado, you know, as a whirlwind. And so that was scary. And then uh, for Abraham, he showed up as a flaming oven, floating oven. Okay, that is quite frightening. Uh, and then in the, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, he was a pillar of fire at night and this awesome cloud during the day. And he would be at the tent of meeting if you got close to it or went in there when you weren't supposed to. You'd die, okay? So here are the angel, here's the shepherds with the angel... And then the glory of the Lord shine around them. You can just imagine why they'd be terrified by this. But the angel who went to angel training school 101, right? You guys know this. What's the first thing angels say? You guys are so awesome. But the angel said to them, because he went to angel school, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. For all nations. Somehow in the scheme of God's great design, he decided that coming as a baby would be something that would begin this idea of great joy for all people. Jesus said it this way. I wrote this down in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, I have told you this. He was talking to them. This was, this was Jesus' last 
kind of speech before he left the disciples. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or to the fullest or the way it's supposed to be. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be joyful people. What I want to suggest this morning is that if you're not experiencing that joy, it's probably not the fault of Jesus. It's probably, at least if you're anything like me, in those times of my life, when I find myself in that place where I'm not experiencing the joy, it's because I have not gone to Him. I'm waiting for Him to come to me. I'm in a situation or whatever, or I've gotten myself in a situation, and I stand in that situation and I say, Lord, get out of the manger and come help me. And Jesus says, come to me. Matter of fact, Jesus said this when he was on earth. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And so he says, let my joy may be full. And then the angels continue, and they say, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That is a lame sign. (laughs) Don't you think? I mean, if, if God comes to you and says, and you say, give me a sign, God. And he says, oh, you're going to stumble upon a baby. You're like, could I have one? Is the baby going to be glowing? Like, could I have something else, like, besides a baby? Because they cry every time I hold them. Like, could I have a baby and maybe a spaceship? I don't know. Something besides just that. But see, what the, what the uh, shepherds are more keyed into is this idea of a messiah. This idea of Savior, this idea that someone's going to come and restore Israel. And not just militarily, but restore Israel so that they will go back to their God. That they will be God's people and He will be their God. And so he says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. A great company of heavenly hosts, like tons of angels, Right? And, and, and they begin praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth to those whom his favor rests. This must have been an incredible sight for these shepherds. And then just as a passing statement, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, you know, and I, I love the Bible. I love to read the Bible and you should read your Bible. These types of sentences just puzzle me because that really happened. Like they left and went back to heaven. Like, there they go. And they're the, they're the shepherds. Like the shepherds experienced this encounter with God. And then the angels leave and they go back up to heaven. I don't know if they saw them go up or if they like just disappeared or whatever. But all of a sudden, there are the shepherds with a decision to make. They've experienced God in a way. Now what are they going to do? So that, and so they, the angels go up to heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, it's difficult for me to explain uh, this particular context of the Bible. Shepherds don't leave sheep. 
They just don't. As a matter of fact, the sheep were probably not theirs. They were probably hired hands. And even Jesus talks about this, about being the good shepherd, about he's the one who actually owns the sheep and he still stays with the sheep no matter what. But, but, but all other shepherds are kind of hired hands. He talks about that kind of historical context. But the, these shepherds were most likely, it wasn't their sheep. And yet, these shepherds take this great risk to find a baby because this might be the Messiah. Let me just say this. Your greatest joys with Jesus are probably going to come from some type of risk. It's going to be some type of step. You're going to have an encounter with God and it's going to be wonderful. Or it's gonna, you're just going to know it's from God. And then it's going to be like, gone. And what are you going to do with that? And it's going to come at a cost. For them, they were risking their whole job. They were risking lots of stuff. Even if they were the owner of the sheep, they were risking the sheep, okay? It's not like this was a safe place or you can go and put your sheep in storage for a while while you go out and go uh, do something else. Like, they're out there, sheep, and sheep aren't really good at defending themselves, okay? So, like, this was the, a huge risk. But it says they hurried off. It's like, we're going we're gonna to go. Your cost might be time. You might take a step into some type of obedience that costs you a bunch of time, and time might not be something you have a lot of. And so you might have in the sense of you're just busy. You've got, you've got stuff going on. You've got a career. You've got a house payment or a rent payment. You've got all this kind of stuff, and you just sense God going, go to the manger. Go to the manger. You need your time at the manger. And so you're going to have to risk not getting that project done. You're going to have to risk, you know, getting up early and maybe trying to figure out how you're going to manage your life around this time with Jesus, who's not going to come and just visit you everything you do. He wants you to take a risk and go visit him. It might come in the form of money. And that you're collecting and collecting and collecting and managing and budgeting and, and money, 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 money. And God says to you, you know what? It's time for you to start getting a heart of generosity and just get rid of that, those chains of money. And it might cost you dollars. And you might end up going and giving those dollars to Jesus. And Jesus might not turn your $10 into $100. He might just take your $10 and keep it. And say, this is great. Now I want you to go back and live on the rest. And for you, that might be your risk. It might be time to begin to to risk that. For you, it might be a relationship. Something you're in right now where you just kind of know, Jesus isn't coming to this. He's not going to bless this. He's not going to show up and make this all right. He's not going to change him or change her or change my friends or whatever. If, if I'm going to go to Jesus, I'm going to end up possibly risking these relationships. And it might actually cost you those relationships. Here's what happened to the shepherds. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
You know, it's incredible to me. If you met a shepherd who hadn't gone to see Jesus and you asked him why he didn't go to see Jesus, his answer would make sense. He would say, well, I had to watch the sheep. And you'd go, oh, okay. But the shepherds who left got to have an encounter with the Messiah that changed their lives. They, they had to leave the comfort of what they know. They had to leave what looked responsible, all this kind of stuff. But imagine if you didn't leave your sheep to go see Jesus. And the same is true for us. There are things in my life, and I know, and I hope when I get to heaven, Jesus doesn't have a film of my life, like of, of, of the way it could have been, <laughs> John's life. It's like, oh, man, it's like 17 hours long. All the angels are weeping. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but, but I know if he did have that uh, um, movie ready for me, he would show me or could show me many, many times. I sat in comfort or risk adverseness or something where I was just like, it's just too risky to try to go meet Jesus. And he'd say, I, I just want to show you the joy you're missing out on. The reason I know there's going to be those things or there are those things in my life is because I've had times in my life where I've actually stepped out and risked and been in that tenuous spot between risk and manger, okay? Like where I haven't even seen Jesus yet and I want to just run back, but I'm like, nope, I'm going to see Jesus. And so I'm going to risk this. And for me, it's come in the form of lots of different things, money and time and relationships and all sorts of different wacky stuff. And every time I go to see Jesus, I increase in joy. Every time. Now, in the midst of all this, something else is happening. Mary gets a verse, <laughs> okay? So you have all this shepherd language and all what's happening with the shepherd. And then Luke, the writer, who starts out his book with, he wants to have an accurate account of everything that happened. That's how he writes the book. So he's really interested in the facts, which is why we heard about that governor in the first verse. Uh, he sticks this verse in about Mary, because Mary's already at the manger. Mary's already with Jesus. Mary's at the place where there's nothing else going on in her life right now except Jesus. And here's how she envelops this. It says, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, in the craziness of Christmas... And in the craziness of my life and your life and all our baggage from our history and all this kind of stuff, we have to carve out times to ponder, to sit. If you get into the original language of this verse, and you don't need to because it's really not that eye-opening, but the idea is that she's collecting thoughts and experiences and trying to come up with an argument or a narrative or um, you, you'll see these words as someone's um, pondering as they're, 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 they're trying to collect a bunch of things so that they have a position. That's what Mary's doing. So she's in her mind, she's thinking, wow, that's right. The angel Gabriel visited me. What did he say again? He said he's going to be the Messiah. How do you 
care for the Messiah? Do you hold the Messiah differently than you'd hold a regular baby? What, when am I supposed to know that, that he's supposed to go do his thing? What, what, am, I, what am I supposed to do? And then, and then uh, Joseph had that same, oh, I'm so glad that Joseph stayed with me. Oh, I didn't want to do this alone. All these different things. Why, why, why was there no room at the end? Why are we in a manger? I have the Messiah. If I have the Messiah... Why didn't we ride in on a comet like Pastor John said we should do? You know, whatever. She's having all these thoughts. She's pondering. This is a wonderful thing about being with Jesus. He allows us to process all these things. What I want to do is I want to connect with this for just a little bit. Um, because at the end of the service today, we're going to have a little exercise where we're going to look at this and ponder. Now, some of you are uh you're you're kind of right brain people you you it's the facts it's the you look at this and it's just like not historically accurate and it bugs you um it it you don't know why jesus has a big halo over his head and if he does why did the whatever you're looking at all these different things and and so you're this is a hard thing you want to know facts you want to know figures you want to kind of for others of you you're like oh goody we get to look at art <laughs> okay this tapestry is eight feet by 12 feet it's huge um and so but uh, i i've started making one it just took too long so i've made the pictures instead um we're gonna kind of look at this as we as we have our reflective time this morning so before we do that this morning i just want to show you what happened because the shepherds went and did something They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. What they had heard and seen only happened because they took a risk. I wrote this down. It's kind of my main point this morning. You can't experience the majesty of Jesus until you visit the manger of Jesus. That oftentimes we want to experience Jesus in this great way. And as Audra comes back up with the worship team, we, we, we want to experience him uh, in our work and in relationships and all this kind of stuff. But we're not carving out any time with him or we're not, we're not changing anything we're doing. It's all about him coming to meet us, him coming to meet us. And maybe Jesus came in the form of a baby for us to go meet him. One last thing as we... Uh, close up and what we'll do is we'll take Glenda's advice and during this quiet time of worship you might want to just look at this and connect with something you might maybe this isn't the space for you and you want to take it home and uh, find a quiet place at home and take a look and just see if you can connect um, with with God there Um, but I want to I want to just draw your attention to one risk that I'm going to ask you to take in January Uh, about 30 to 35 of us um, it, starting in September, had, had been going through Rooted. It's a 10-week, uh, not really a Bible study, but more of just manger time. <laughs> and um, you get into groups, and that, for some of you, might be your risk. You're like, I am not getting in a group. I don't know these people. I don't even want to get to know these people. I just, just, that's it. But this might be your thing. This might be your place where, look, if it's if you're thinking that there's more to this relationship with God, this is the more. And so uh, 
It's 10 weeks. You meet 10 weeks in a row with your group. When you're done, you can just, you know, there's a money-back guarantee. You can just say, oh, that was a big waste of time. But I I can almost guarantee you that's not what's going to happen. As you take that risk and you do the homework, there's five, five days of homework a week. It doesn't take very long, but you're just writing to God. You're connecting with God. It's, ma- it's manger time, really. You will watch your life transform. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost of taking a risk of joining a group and doing it for 10 weeks. It's kind of like if you see an infomercial, you know, and they're, and they're like, you know, if you do this 90 days worth of such and such, you know, your body will be transformed. What about your soul? And so just keep it on the, in the back of your mind that this might be your next risk. But as we enter into this quiet time of worship, um, and, and the worship band's going to uh, sing for us, you might just want to look at that picture and just kind of identify with something. And maybe you connect with God that way. Now's the time you'd fill out your connection card. And if you have a prayer request, you'd fill that out. If, if your risk is in tithes and offerings, this would be the time, if you don't give online, to get those set up. And to, uh, when we're done, we put all the connection cards and the tithes and offerings in a box in the back. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we step into this week of just really your birth coming closer and closer and closer to us, Lord. I just pray that we would notice you in lots of things, not just a picture that we're holding in our hand, but um, different things in the tapestry of our own life. And so, Lord, I pray as we enter into this time, as we listen to a song or we look at a picture or what have you, that we would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.